Welcome to Bringing Truth to Life. My name is Henry Clay, and we hope you enjoy this series of messages on the Reformed faith. This series is uh, Lightning in the Fog, The Heartbeat and Hurdles of the Reformed Faith. It's amazing how many Presbyterians would say, I'm not totally sure what all that stuff is about reform. They kind of know bits and pieces, but as far as an overall quick picture, it's often not as clear. So that's why I call it Lightning in the Fog, and the series is The Heartbeat and Hurdles of the Reformed Faith. Where did it all come from? What were the questions it was meant to answer? And then it's four hurdles. What are the, the things that people, if they stumble in something with the, this way of approaching our faith, which is basically trying to be biblical, so I mean, it's not like some specialized Kentucky Fried Chicken secret sauce or something. It's just trying to be biblical. Uh, but the, the four hurdles I talk about are uh, election and predestination, the word spirit controversy of, and we'll, I'm going to actually give that one in a couple of weeks, of what's all this stuff about? Well, be filled with the Spirit, but on the other hand, you need to be reformed in doctrine. And so I'm just going to give you my take after 50 years on that question. Hold on to your seats. And, uh, and then infant baptism. But the one uh, I'm going to talk about today is the issue of God's sovereignty in prayer and how that affects that. Okay? Well, let me pray and we'll start. Heavenly Father, thank you that we can talk to the deity. We all of a sudden just decide we want to talk to you and we start and for some reason we think you're listening and actually you are and you're actually present. So lead us forward in this time. We want to draw near to the throne of grace that we might receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, welcome to Lightning in the Fog, session eight. This is hurdle number four, the struggle with prayer, God's sovereignty and prayer this morning we want to avoid the commission of a crime. It would be a crime if your theology murdered your prayer life. That your view of God being in control and God being sovereign somehow ended up with you praying less. One thing I like to say is, if your approach to theology results in you praying less, you took a wrong turn somewhere. Uh, so not that I can answer all questions, but uh, we can at least uh, address this together. And this comes from our, our concept of God's sovereignty, his, what's called his decrees, his election, predestination, his providence. I pulled out something from the confession on God's eternal decree. We, ha we don't hear a ton of preaching on that. I think they used to talk about it more. But when you talk about God's eternal decree, it says God from all eternity did by the most wise and holy counsel of his own will, freely and unchangeably ordain whatsoever comes to pass. That God in past eternity already sort of set everything. So on the one hand, that's absolutely wonderful because a lot of times it looks like the world is careening along and no one's at the wheel. Uh, and so knowing that somehow God in his sovereignty, and he's the wisest and best person in the whole universe, that he's in control. He's always in control. God never says, oh, whoops, I'm so sorry about that. I didn't realize. <laughs> sorry about that. He, he never says that because everything is in his sovereign control. And so as far as trusting in him and resting in him, that's a big plus, right? But on the other hand, you think, well, the, wait, 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 wait a minute. Wait a minute. I thought we were supposed to pray and God would do things and 
Does that mean that's not really the case, that really he's ordained everything, and then we pretend to move him in prayer? Or is this true, and maybe this other, other one isn't true? I mean, maybe you've never thought about that. Uh, but most people that pray, and particularly when they pray and it doesn't happen, seem to happen, uh, they start wondering about this thing. So, what we want to see if we can understand is why would we not fall into fatalism, thinking, uh, you know, Doris Day, que sera, sera, whatever will be, will be. And because if you think that way, you will not pray. Not much, because you don't think it makes a difference. I love this quote by Spurgeon. He says, Today's wise men tell us that prayer is an excellent exercise, good and comforting and useful. But they add that we're not to suppose that prayer has any effect on God whatsoever. We inquire of them, Would you have us go on praying after the information you've given? Of course, they say, it's a pious exercise, a proper and edifying thing. Go on praying, but do not think that God hears. And his response is, it is evident that they think us idiots. If prayer has no effect upon God, I may as well whistle when I rise in the morning as to pray. And I would as soon close my eyes at night in silence as run over a set of ineffectual words. So I think we need to think about this together. Prayer, in the New Testament alone, the number of verses dealing with prayer is over 300. If it was really something that didn't affect anything, do you think God would devote that much space to talking about it? The famous John Calvin, Jean Covin in French, Jean Calvin says of prayer, there is no office of piety, meaning spiritual practice, there's no office of spiritual practice more frequently commanded in Scripture than ask and it shall be given unto you. God says it again and again and again and again. Ask, and it shall be given you. So we want to think about a couple of things, the rationale for prayer. First and foremost, God's commands. He says, be anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving. Let, this is a command, isn't it? Let your requests be made known to God. Colossians 4.2, devote yourselves to prayer keeping alert in it with an attitude of thanksgiving. Isaiah 55, you've heard this many times. Seek the Lord while he may be found. Call upon him while he is near. Don't you notice this is, this is an imperative? It's not like, well, if you insist on calling on, on, on me, I'll, it's okay. He says, he gives us a command. To not obey a command is what? It's disobedience. He's commanded us. Pray then in this way, our Father who is in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Pray, pray, pray. Then we have God's promises. God's promises, his, what he said, he commits himself to, he binds himself with his own word in an oath, saying, I will do this. Matthew 7, 7, ask, and it shall be given you. Seek, and you shall find. Knock, and it will be opened to you. Jeremiah 33, 3, also famous one, right? Call to me. Again, it's a command. It's not like, well, if you insist on calling. He says, call, come, come on. Give, give it to me, you know, out loud. Call to me and I will answer you and show you great and mighty things which you do not know. James 5.16, therefore confess your sins to one another. Pray for one another that you may be healed. He doesn't say, well, pray. It doesn't really make much difference anyway, but it'll make you feel better. Go ahead and pray. He says, no, pray so that you may be 
may be healed. The effective prayer, listen to this, the effective prayer of the right of a righteous man can accomplish much. Now God's not a liar. That's what God says. Second Chronicles 7.14, also the famous one, that you maybe have that on a little plaque somewhere. If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then, then, then I will hear from heaven, will forgive their sin and heal their land. Does our land not need healing? If, God says, if, you pray, I will act. Well, then we wonder, well, when Jesus comes, uh, God in the flesh revealing himself, if Jesus actually secretly knows it really doesn't make a difference because God's in control, then we wouldn't see Jesus very engaged in prayer. He was praying all the time. It's like, wow, this is something. Even God the Son is committed to prayer. And I don't think he's wasting his time. Uh, he probably knows what he's doing. Uh, Matthew 4, 14, 23, after he'd sent the multitude away, he went up to the mountain by himself to pray. When it was evening, he was there alone, spending time with God, calling out to God. Mark 1, 35, when he gets up early in the morning, goes to a lonely place. Luke 5, 16, he would often slip away to the wilderness. Luke 6, he went and spent the whole night in prayer to God. The Mount of Transfiguration, he's up there with Peter, James, and John. And it says, while he was praying, the appearance of his face became different. It's like his glory sort of snuck out, burst out. John 14, 16, when the last night, he says, I will ask the Father, and he will give you another comforter. What's the implication? If I didn't ask, he wouldn't give. This is the trigger. I says, I'm going to pull the trigger. I will ask, and he will give. If you could just put one slogan, uh, motto over your prayer life, it should be that, just like Jesus. I will ask, and he will give. I will ask, and he will give. Hebrews 7, hence, he is able to save forever those who draw near to God through him since he always lives to make intercession for them. Intercession for Jesus wasn't just while he was here on earth. That seems to be, it's implied, it's the main thing he's doing for us in heaven. Why would he be doing that if it didn't make any difference? Well, then you've got the example of the apostles. What, what message did they pick up from him at, when they were with him? Well, God's in control, so we obviously don't need to pray, but we'll, we'll do a little bit like a little garnish because it's kind of like, it's just sort of like what you do. It's sort of like a tie on Sunday, you know. You don't really need a tie. Does a tie make you uh, warm or, or cover up any vital part of your person? No, it's hanging on the outside of your, of your shirt. You think, well, what do I need a tie for? And some people, for them, prayer is like a, a man's Sunday tie. It's like, well, you just, it's sort of decorative. <laughs> But we can see from the apostles' example, they also thought it was essential. Acts 1.14, when they were supposed to tarry in Jerusalem until the Holy Spirit came, they spent 10 days praying. 10 days. Acts 6.4, when the thing came up with the widows, they said, well, well, we'll just need to come invent some deacons or something to do that because we can't quit. We can't not be praying. It's too important. 
Peter up on the rooftop praying and the, and the sheet comes down in Acts 10. They're in prison in Acts 16 and Paul and Silas are praying and singing hymns and the whole thing begins to shake and the doors fall open. And he wouldn't be able to convince them that prayer doesn't do anything. Earthquake. And then all the testimonies of answered prayer. The barren women that are able to have children. The huge armies that are defeated. The people that are raised from the dead. Others delivered from prison. The sick made well. Why would so much space be devoted to these testimonies? It's because God is trying to convince us. He says, this is one of the major ways that God moves on the face of the earth is the prayers of his people. So why do you think the devil does not want you to pray? He wants you to take your understanding of theology and murder your prayer life. And we're here today to stop him at the door and say, no, God has said, call unto me and I will answer you and show you great and mighty things. And I may not be able to explain it, but I am going to believe it, and I'm going to live it. The nature of prayer, when you look at prayer, some people will say prayer is mostly about being with God. It is about being with God. It's mostly just worship and adoration, and he's given us so much we should just be thankful, which is also very true. We should make our request known with thanksgiving. But when they ask Jesus, teach us to pray, he doesn't say, well, don't go asking for stuff, you know? That's kind of selfish, and uh, God's done so much, and you should just trust that he knows what you need, and so just chill and soak in his presence, or we'll put on some praise music. That's all fine. But when Jesus says, this is the pattern, it's almost all petitions. After you address God as the Father, it's your kingdom come, your will be done, give us this day our daily bread, forgive us our debts, lead us not into temptation, deliver us. That's all requests. That's a pretty good request, isn't it? I mean, you're not supposed to ask for bad things. But Jesus shows us this pattern of asking things from God that are good. And how does God try to motivate us to pray? God doesn't say, well, you should just love me and want to be with me. God says, no. He says, I'll make it worth your while. <laughs> How many of you have grandchildren? Okay, anybody ever had grandchildren pick up pine cones? Well, I'll tell you what, they're not going to do it for nothing. You know? <laughs> hey, I got an idea. Let's go out and pick up pine cones. But you, you got to make it worth their while. And Wendy makes it worth Charlie's while. He's, he's getting really good at picking up the pine cones. How does God motivate us? Just, he says, well, just because I said do it, you've got to do it. Is it just to align our hearts with him? God doesn't ever mention that. Preachers will talk about that, but that's not what God says. The primary way that God himself seeks to motivate us to pray is by promising to answer. It's just that simple. And you know the Bible well enough to know, recognize it when I say it. Well, that does seem to come up a lot. Ask and it shall be given to you. Are you prepared to accuse God of being disingenuous? Well, he says this, but you know, he's really in control of everything. He's foreordained whatsoever comes to pass. And so... 
just saying that because he's trying to figure out some way to get you to pray. No. I want us to cover something that it may be a little bit theoretical, but it is the basic concept of what's going on here. And it's the concept of antimony. And you don't have to remember that. It sounds like hominy. Antimony. But it's the idea of a contradiction between conclusions that seem equally logical and reasonable, and yet they, they seem to be impossible that both could be true at the same time. So you at least got that part, right? Now the good news is that we've got some other areas that we're all already cool with this. It's like, uh, you haven't wondered this past week, how could Jesus possibly be God? Okay? And man. I, I, don't, I really don't get that. How could God be one God and yet uh, exist in three persons? Neither dividing the essence nor confounding the substance. Anyway, the persons. It's like, it's hard to explain, but we don't worry about it that much. We just, we just, we hold those two parts. How could the Bible, how could this Bible be the word of God? And yet it was written by people. It's the word of man. Is it, is it this or is it that? It's both. And so here we have, now watch this. Let's bring this over to your prayer life because you might not have, it, those those uh, abilities that you've already developed theologically to hold other seemingly opposing thoughts in tension, not lose either one of them, uh, you may not have applied as strongly to your prayer life. So if we bring it over to prayer, where does that leave us? I believe that God is in absolute sovereign control and I'm trusting in Him and I don't have to worry about the universe being in trouble. The most loving and faithful and powerful and just person is on the throne. He's on the throne. I'm at peace. But on the other hand, God has also said, call to me and I will answer you and show you great and mighty things. I absolutely believe that. I absolutely believe that when I call on God, not only does he hear, he responds. According to what's best, as, as Tim Keller says, God answers your prayers according to what you would have prayed if you knew what he knows. And so God doesn't always literally give you exactly what you ask, but that sets the minimum, I believe. He will either give you what you ask for or what he knows is better and what you will agree with some days as well. That was definitely an upgrade. It sets the minimum of what God will do. The Reformed solution on this has to do with secondary causes. I'm not going to belabor that. Some of you just like all that theology stuff. But when it talks about God's sovereignty, they talk about that God has also foreordained the secondary causes. That means that when you're praying, that's also swept up in God's sovereignty. That God was planning on you asking him that. And planning on it being that important that you would ask him that many times and for that long. There are things I've been praying, and since I'm recording it, I won't say it because somebody I know might listen to it someday, but I've been praying for somebody very dear to me for 50 years and still don't see any response. So I'm not saying that if there's always like a, a vending machine, you put in that amount of money and you get out whatever thing you were trying to get, uh, but it is a partnership with God to change the world for good, to bring heaven back to earth. God is the first cause, but he's also working in us and working through our prayers.
But Dabney says the familiar old answer here applies that God's decree embraces the means as much as the end. Okay, the means is your prayer, that what, what you do. The end is what you prayed for. Wherever it was his eternal purpose that anyone should receive certain graces, it was his purpose equally that he should ask. To be consistent, these rationalists who refuse to pray should also refuse to plow, to sow, to cultivate, to take medicine when sick, to watch against danger, etc. So in conclusion of that part, we're to feel the full weight of responsibility. God has said, "You, if my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face, then I will here from heaven. Uh, my favorite quote on this with the decrees of God and the prayers of his saints is this one by Spurgeon. To think that we puny people may speak with God and through God we may move all the worlds. Yet when your prayers are heard, creation will not be disturbed. Though the grandest ends be answered, providence will not be altered for a single moment. Not a leaf will fall earlier from the tree, not a star will stray from its course, nor will one drop of water trickle more slowly from its fount. All will go on the same, and yet your prayers will have affected everything. They will speak to the decrees and purposes of God as they are daily fulfilled. And the decrees will all shout to your prayer, You are our brother, we are decrees, and you are prayer, but you are yourself a decree as old, as sure, as ancient as we are. Our prayers are God's decrees in another shape. The prayers of God's people are but God's promises breathed out of living hearts. And these promises are the decrees only put into another form and fashion. Do not say, how can my prayers affect the decrees of God? They cannot accept to the degree that your prayers are decrees and that as they come out, every prayer that is inspired by the Holy Ghost in your soul is as omnipotent and as eternal as that decree which said, let there be light, and there was light. Dear friend, God Almighty has sought to get you to pray by just about every conceivable means. So much of the Bible is geared toward you realizing that you can call on God and He will answer. He's laid before you commands, promised answers, He's given good examples, He's given abundant success stories. He's also allowed trials that have cast you on a bed of affliction where you've cried out for God, to God for help and mercy. But after all that, let me ask you, do you pray? Is this area strong and getting stronger all the time? There was a story told of a meeting of the Presbytery in, in uh, New York back in like 1895. And the guy said, how many, and it was just ministers and, uh, you know, teaching and ruling elders. How many of you pray at least an hour a day for what God might do in your work and in the world? And uh, one hand went up out of 300 people. How many, how many, a half an hour? And a few more hands went up. And finally he says, well, how many, at least five minutes? <laughs> and most of the hands went up. And afterwards, someone came up to him. He says, he says, I just, I don't want to be dishonest. I'm not sure I'm at five minutes a day. <laughs> he confessed. 
this has been something that's always been a challenge, and I think it's particularly a challenge for Presbyterians. We, every, every approach to Christianity has its own strength. Some are really strong in ministering the poor, some are strong in praise and worship, some are strong in evangelism and outreach, and some are strong in prayer, and some are strong in the Bible and theology. So I guess nobody's great at absolutely everything. But prayer is something in general that's more challenging uh, for our approach to Christianity, but that means it's our, one of our greatest opportunities for growth. Are you praying God-sized prayers? Are you, are you thinking, what would make the world a better place? And just in case this thing works, I'm just going to go ahead and ask it for it. I sort of feel like our goal should be that we get to heaven and God say, well, I know I said that, but you sort of really took it to another level of uh, asking large things. I, I, I wasn't anticipating, you know, getting, getting that kind of a response. Try to outdo the goodness of God, to out-ask his power. Are you praying from your littleness up? Well, I'll just, I'll just ask for this and that and, you know, he says, pray for my greatness down. Pray for great things. Pray with all your heart. Zeal for the house of God to consume us. Strength, intensity, calling on the Lord. You know, we're going to feel pretty bad when we get to heaven and we realize, oh my goodness, it was all true. You know, he said, well, he, he said, didn't I tell you? If you would call to me and, and I would show you great and mighty things. Well, I know you said that, but I didn't really think you meant that. <laughs> he says, well, why would I say it if I didn't mean it? Why wouldn't you believe me? You must learn to pray. Your life depends on it. It's your spiritual oxygen. Not to pray is a crime against heaven. You were born to do that. Remember that God invented prayer, allows prayer, encourages prayer, commands prayer, responds to prayer, answers prayer, hears prayer, he expects prayer. In prayer, I'm claiming the promises of God, filled with the Spirit of God, walking in the will of God, kissing the face of God. In prayer, I'm fulfilling the purposes of God, touching the heart of God, blessing the people of God, seeking first the kingdom of God. In prayer, I'm interceding with the Son of God, obeying the command of God, accepting the invitation of God, worshiping the majesty of God, receiving the grace of God, hearing the voice of God, surrendering to the plan of God, and soaking in the presence of God. Now, why was it we weren't praying? Doesn't that sound like a place we should be frequently at? I know it's a challenge. I've had to, I'm still working on it, you know, because we just drift, you know. We just sort of slide away from those things we think, well, we ought to be doing that. But God, this is a, such a season in our lives to be more focused and intent. Think about uh, the energy you gave to having a family, to building a career, to getting your house decorated. You, you, there was an, an intentionality, an intensity, a thought, a study. You'd look things up. You'd Google things. You'd ask people, who knows more about that? What if you brought those same gifts and energy to growing in your prayer life? What might happen?
I challenge you to exceed in prayer, Spurgeon writes, I challenge you to exceed in prayer the Master's bounty. I throw down the gauntlet to you. Believe him to be more than he is. Open your mouth so wide that he cannot fill it. Go to him now for more faith than the promise warrants. Venture it, risk it, outdo the eternal if it is possible. Or to put it simply, take your petition and needs and see if he does not honor you. See if through believing him he does not fulfill the promise and richly bless you with the anointing oil of his Holy Spirit by which you will be strong in prayer. He will hear you and you shall yet pray as prevailing princes and one day you shall stand as more than a conqueror before the starry throne of him who ever reigns as God over all, blessed forever. And when we pray, we lift up two hands. We lift up the hand of petition, because that's how he's defined prayer. He says, tell me what you, what you think would make the world a better place. You abide in me, and my words abide in you, and then I want you to think about it. What would make this world a better place? What would make your family a better family? What would make our city a better city? What would make our country a better country? What would make the world a better place? Ask me for that. Ask me for that. Ask, 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 and it will be given to you. But the other hand you lift up is the hand of surrender. Because we don't know everything. I mean, prayer is sort of like a big gun. Second Amendment says, fine, I'm not sure I want a gun in my house where my grandkids are very creative. You know, so I'm sort of torn on, on all of this kind of stuff. The more powerful a weapon, the more dangerous it is. Nothing's more powerful than prayer. And so if we didn't have a strong safety on prayer, well, we might blow up the wrong thing, you know? So God says, don't worry about it. You just, you take the best aim you can. That's good enough. He says, the Holy Spirit's right there to guide all those prayers exactly where they need to go. You never have to worry about safety mechanism on prayer. He says, I've already got that taken care of. That's, that's beyond your, up above your pay grade. So you lift up two hands. The hand of petition. You ask him what you think would make the world a better place, your life a better life, your family a better family. And at the other, on the other hand, you say, God, I'm happy with that, whatever, however you take that prayer. I, know, I believe that you're either going to give me exactly what I ask for, or you're going to give me what you know is better. And that's fine. I'm totally surrendered. I'm surrendered. So I will ask, but I will also surrender. And with that together, we bring glory to God. But let me just close by encouraging you. This is your time. This is your time to take whatever your next steps are in prayer. To find perhaps a special place in your house. To sanctify a special time. To focus more on what verses God has given you that you can claim. How to use promises in prayer. How to use praise in prayer. Maybe you need to use some more music. Maybe you need to make a prayer list. I don't know. You can find out. You're an energetic person. You have people you can ask. You even know how to use Google. There are all sorts of things you can do if you really want to. And I'm hoping this morning you felt a bit of the Holy Spirit's want to in your heart. That whatever the next step for me is in prayer, I'd like to take it. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you so much. What an amazing thing to think that we can partner with God, that you care about what we think, because when we ask for wonderful things from a wonderful God, 
we bring you glory. And you say, that's my boy. That's my girl. Just like we feel with our grandchildren when they come up with uh, wonderful things to think or say or do, we think, wow, that's, that's my little grandson, my little granddaughter, my son, my, my daughter. Lord, we want to bring you glory and honor here on the earth. We thank you that you have loved us. And you don't just say, sit still, don't touch anything, I'll take care of everything. You say, no, let's, let's do it together. Let's do it together. Stir us up, Lord, stir us up to pray great prayers to a great God, see great things, and then break the tape into heaven, knowing it's all true. We love you, Lord, and pray in Jesus' name. Thanks for joining us on Bringing Truth to Life. If you like our content, please subscribe and give us a review. This helps more people find our podcast. 